Hey, it's the president here, OGE, with another version of the OGE show where we dive into a lot of adverse topics about the NFL week six. A lot of things went on in week six. You know, we Dolphin fans, so it's a lot of turmoil going on in Miami. A lot of talks about Deshaun Watson to a trade. It's been on the table for months since somewhere around August. Late July, early August, it's been on the table. I think it's time for Miami to pull the trigger on it. I think it's the only thing that can save this season. And we'll start the OGE show right there with the Dolphins. Hey, guys. You know, Tua Tagovailoa, after suffering a loss to Jacksonville on Sunday over in London, the Dolphins fell to 4-5-1, I mean 1-5. Tua looks like he was pretty decent. He was he was over 300 yards passing. He's found Jalen Waddle twice in the end zone. Threw a kind of unworldly pick. If you look at that tape, rewind that. He threw it right to the Jacksonville defender. I don't know if he underthrew the ball or he, if he just can't throw it that far. But it was vastly underthrown right into the Jacksonville defender's hand. That was kind of weird. But outside of that, he had a pretty decent game. But it came down to some late calls by the coach. Fourth and one with time running out. Late in the fourth quarter trying to preserve the lead. You decide to run a, 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 a sweet play to the right side with Ahmad, your third string running back. That's the things that I don't understand. Those are coaching mistakes. Those are not personnel problems. Those are coaches' mistakes. They're not execution problems. On fourth and one, with the game on the line, your play call is suspect. The personnel that you decided to run this play with is suspect. And I believe that's the root of the Dolphins' problem. Yeah, Tua might not be the franchise quarterback that can take the Miami Dolphins to the next level. But the real issue is, do the Miami Dolphins know what the next franchise quarterback or a franchise quarterback looks like? Because over the last 22 years, they brought in all of these players, all different types of Talent levels, some that had preservedly big arms, some that were able to be a little bit mobile. Fuck, we even tried Jay Cutler to drum. And I'm starting to realize that maybe it's really not a personnel issue. Maybe it's a culture issue. Has anybody ever questioned the culture in the Dolphins organization? Like, we know what type of culture the coach brings on the field with Brian Flores. You know, that tough grit, we're going to work and we're going to earn everything. We're going to fight for every play, every, every down. But in upper management, what is their culture? You have a turnaround every two or three years where you're looking for a new head coach 
had a couple of general managers in there, Rick Spielman, Tannenbaum, you know, Chris Greer now. You have all kind of different football minds there from the Ken Camerons, the Nerve Turners, you know, you even had the Tuna there. So what is the culture in the front office, you know, that building on one dolphin place? Because that's where my question lies. I have questions on the field, but we'll get to those later. But when I get to talking about the culture of the Dolphins at the ownership level, Stephen Ross, I like you. You're, you're a Miami native guy. You want the Dolphins to win. You've invested a lot of money in this franchise and the city around it. And you want the right thing to happen in Miami. But do you have the right people in place? Chris Greer. Great evaluator of talent. Has he used the draft picks correctly? I don't know. I haven't seen anything flourish out of his system in the draft picks that we've got. The one sure shot player that we, the two sure shot players that we had in the Chris Greer era are no longer Dolphins. Larry Tunzel and Mika Fitzpatrick. Those were the two sure shots that the Miami Dolphins took in the Chris Gray era, and both of them are no longer Miami Dolphins. Something to think about, huh? And then you bring in Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Waddle. That was supposed to be like a match made in heaven. It was strategically done by trading back in the draft to get to her. And it was also strategically done by trading twice this year to make sure you secure Jalen Waddle. Now, in the midst of all of that shuffling, all of that moving to make sure you secure these two players, now you sit six, seven games into the regular season, Tua has gave you two games this year, one, one win, one loss. The win wasn't that pretty. The loss was actually pretty. That's weird. <laughs> we can just go on and on about that. And then Waddle looks like he's a good receiver. Looks like he can make some plays, superstar kind of feel. I don't know yet. Is he worth that pick at number three? We haven't sure yet. A lot of people thought Jalen Waddle coming into the season would be this year's hand-down rookie of the year. We haven't seen that. And that poses a problem. And the biggest problem with it is when you look at the comps that were given up in the shuffle, Dolphins had a chance at, well, they didn't have a chance at Joe Burrow. But 
they had a chance at Justin Hubert. You see what he's doing over there. In this draft, they had the chance at Jamar Chase. You see what he's doing over there. And in 2020 hindsight, it looks like the Dolphins passed on the 2020 Rookie of the Year. It looks like the 2021 Rookie of the Year. So with that being said, is the decisions that Chris Greer making in the rebuild process that he's doing, is it really a good choice? Is he really making the right moves? Because he did a lot of shuffling to get Jalen Waddle, and Chase was just in your hands. You had the third pick in the draft. You could have picked any quarterback outside of Joe Burrow. You traded back at five, and you got lucky again to have the pick of the litter of every quarterback besides Joe Burrow. And you picked Tua. And once again, seemed like the wrong pick. So are the, Dolph- are the problems with the Dolphins really in the players? Or is it in the decision making of the organization there at one Dolphin place? Now, there's some problems on the football field. We all see it on Sunday, and we'll dive into those. Coaching, that situation is horrendous. And before we dive into coaching, I have to say leadership plays a major role. Blaine Flores is not really known for being a ball coach. He's really known for being a team builder. You know, like when you play the John Man football on franchise mode and you get to pick what type of coach you have. You have that ball coach. Then you have that strategist like a Sean McVay. And then you got that team builder like a like a Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick. Well, Brian Flores, he considers himself under that team builder mode. With that being said, his football coaching skills are above average, but not elite. With that being said, you have to have some support. The coaches that he has as assistant coaches, they're a joke. You haven't brought in one name that anybody respects in the Dolphins organization to be an assistant coach. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. You're not going to win like that in the NFL. You have to have guys that other players respect. Coaches that's been around the game that other players and coaches respect. I understand some pe- some people have been around in this league for a long time underneath the radar and they really need opportunities. But as you're rebuilding this team and you're looking at 
the things that are happening on Saturday, I mean on Sunday, you should know Monday through Saturday, they're not getting the proper coaching. Offensive coordinator, the two that they have, we all know that that was some unprecedented decision that was made in the NFL. And 80% of the world knew it, that it was probably the, a bad decision. We trusted Brian Flores because he's a sh- team builder, talent evaluator. So we thought his strategy would work, but it didn't. He needs somebody that knows football. If you look at the elite teams around the league, behind their head coach, you have coaches that know football, that other players respect. And that's key, especially when you're trying to rebuild the football team. Miami Dolphins have a very young roster. They don't have any veterans on their roster. I think if I recall McCourty, Probably your vet. You got X Man. He's been there for a while. Got rid of Jakeem Grant. He was had been there for a while. So you're dealing with a whole group of young players, and they don't have any guidance in the locker room, and you don't have any coaches that they respect besides your head coach. So. What you're getting out there is really a mediocre product from a mediocre coaching staff. Brian Flores can't be in the room with the wide receivers and then leave and go in the room with the running backs and then leave and go in the room with the quarterbacks and then leave and go spend some time. He can't do it all. He need people around him that know football. And it will reflect on the field. Offensive line. Offensive line is playing horrendous this year. Same group of guys from last year, not too different. But the difference is in the coaching. You can see it. If you stop any tape of the Miami Dolphins on any play, you would see that their offensive linemen are not engaged with the defensive line. They're not getting a hat on a hat in blocking a player. You know, there's golden rules in this game of football. You know, we I played this game. I love this game. I know a lot of people that play this game, play this game at an elite level. It's golden rules in football. And one of the golden rules that always make me scratch my head when I'm watching the NFL is if you're not blocking somebody, then find somebody to block. Everybody should have a hat on a hat. That's how the game is played. Everybody should have a hat on a hat. And when you watch tape of the Miami Dolphins offensive line, they're blocking each other. They got poor technique, poor stances. Nobody's moving their hips. Austin Jackson playing tackle. He gets beat around the edge every play. Now, I understand playing tackle in the NFL is a very 
tough position to play. You have big, strong guys that are excellent on their feet and they're streaming at your quarterback. And you as that tackle, your first step that you take in planting that ground is what we consider that's your livelihood. And if you can't get out of that stance and make that first step and find some balance in you to block that defender, you're not being coached correctly. And I know I heard the argument a lot that, you know, we're dealing with NFL players and they should be able to do some of these things once they get to that level. But it's still a game of inches and they still have to be coached. It's more than just running plays. Look at Bill Belichick. I always felt like the Patriots were so good for all of those years because while everybody else in the league was running plays, Bill Belichick ran practice. They came out with their pads on every day. They did tackling drills, running and catching drills. Then when they get into their offense, it's live. He lost a lot of players in practice. But he's coaching. That's what it looks like. Take note, NFL. That's what it looks like. And the Miami Dolphins, they need coaching. They have a lot of young talent. We don't even know what this talent is in Miami. We don't know how good Jalen Waddle is because our coaching staff is not utilizing him correctly. Mike Gusecki, any anybody in the league could tell you this guy's a bona fide star, but we're not using him correctly. Devonte Parker, he's a number one wide receiver. He gets nowhere near 100 catches a year. I think he had one or two seasons in, in, in his career in Miami where he was he was at 100, uh, uh, close to 100. I think he had a 1,200-yard year where he was, I think he crossed right over 100 catches. And I think he had another year where he was just short of, I think he was around like 1,000 yards. I looked that up. And... And he was close to, I think he was around like 90 catches. But outside of that, he's not being used correctly. You know, when I look at the stat line of the Dolphin game and I'm looking at Devontae Parker with six catches for 67 yards and a touchdown, I'm wondering to myself, how did we get away from him? Six catches is not enough in the NFL for your number one wide receiver. Not if he's only getting six or seven, eight attempts. If I throw you the ball six times and you catch it five out of the six or four out of the six, I got to keep throwing it to you. Especially if you're getting separation from the defense. Especially if you're willing to go up in the air and make a play for the ball. These are the things that Parker has been showing us in Miami that he can do. But we don't know how to utilize him.
along with a lot of other young stars. I could go on and on. Matt Hollis. Matt Hollis is 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 a solid football player who makes plays every time he's on the field. But he's not on the field enough. When it comes to Tua, and we'll end this with this Tua session here. Tua is not the answer in Miami. After all the games that he's played, the injuries, the fragileness, the recovery, we realize that Tua is not the answer in Miami. But that doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback in the NFL. He has to be coached. He's a young talent that come from Miami playing the quarterback position. I mean, come from Alabama playing the quarterback position. Everybody in the football world know Alabama has put a couple of quarterbacks in the league and none of them have become a star. Matt Jones looked like he's on his way. But look, Matt Jones has good coaching around him. They can turn him into a star. If Tua was in New England, they can turn him into a star. Instead of trying to get this guy to run your offense, he's the type that needs the offense catered around him. I know Miami tried to do that this year, but with those two deep offensive coordinators, I want to call them something else, but we're on the air. But they don't know how to utilize that guy. Jacksonville was the first game I seen Tua in the shotgun for more than a couple of plays. Jeez, the guy's 5'9". Can you give him some space to read the defense? You want to jam him up underneath the center every play? Of course he's not going to be able to get away from the defense. They're right in his face. He's a tough kid, though. He could take a hit. I don't care what anybody says. He might have been hurt for longer than I expected. But that shot he took in Buffalo, that lays... Nine out of ten quarterbacks in the league out for the rest of the game. I don't believe it makes them not available next week or the week after. Maybe one game, two or miss three. But honestly, he's a solid football player. And he can only get better with coaching. But yes, the Miami Dolphins, they have to move on from him. We don't have the coaches. We don't have the people in the coaching staff that know football that can recognize what's going wrong, analyze it, and find a solution to it. We have one guy that's under immense pressure and he's trying to run all aspects of the football team at once. So, yeah, in conclusion, I'm a fan of the Deshaun Watson trade. I think it's a trade better for Tua. Give him a fresh start. Maybe he can get around some real coaches. Maximize his talent. And for the Dolphins, Deshaun Watson is a steal. He's still a top five quarterback in the league. 
He still led the league in passing last year, and he still can make plays with his feet. But in order to play this this new age NFL type of football, you got to continue to put it in every every single week. And I think with coaching, Tua Tagovailoa can be somebody that can put it in for an NFL franchise every week. But not for the Dolphins. We have to start with our coaching staff. And Watson brings different wrinkles to the stage. I think last year the success of Fitzpatrick was because he was able to change out of those dumbass plays that the coaching staff calls. And unfortunately, nobody on the coaching staff is going to say anything to Ryan Fitzpatrick if it doesn't work because he's been around there longer than all of you guys put together. If Ryan, if Ryan Fitzpatrick was our quarterback on Sunday, he audibles out of that fourth and one play. I'm questioning if Tua has that authority to do that. President OGE, and this is your Daily Dose. Daily Dose of news and notes from the sports world today, January 21st, 2022. We already flying through the first month of January, and we're headed to the second round of the playoffs. We got some big matchups this weekend, starting with Tampa Bay and the Rams, Sean McVay versus Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, just um, some of those matchups. Tom Brady faced the Rams back in back in the Super Bowl a couple years ago when he was with the New England Patriots. And they also faced each other at the beginning of this year where the Rams overtakingly beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But this Buccaneers team is nice and healthy. Their experience, their defense is playing really good. They're at home here in Tampa. Should be a little bit better weather than it is out in LA. A little, a little overcast and rain, but out there in the Tampa area, they'll they'll get a lot of sunshine on on, on game day. And I'm more than likely taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this one, and only because the Rams traveling from the other side of the country, playing during the day. I think it's going to be a little throw off as far as the teams. I think they're evenly matched. So the difference lies in the travel. You know, it's never good when you got to go from the West Coast to the East Coast or from the East Coast to the West Coast. And I think the Rams fall victim to that this weekend. And the next matchup I move to is Cincinnati. And they'll be taking on the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans will be getting Derrick Henry back off of IR hopefully today. If they can clear him by 4 o'clock today, then he'll be a part of the game. He
He's been practicing all week, so we'll see what happens there. That's the big determination in this because we've seen the Bengals have a high-powered offense in the last couple of weeks leading up into the playoffs and and it prevailed very, very, very much so this past week in the first round against the Raiders. They were able to light up the scoreboard um, with the combination of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, even the tight end, ate a couple of times. And this is a great offense in Cincinnati. They got it on all three levels. The offensive line is a little shaky, but they're holding up. And they've held Joe up this whole year. Open some holes for Mixon. And the deep pass in Cincinnati is something to be very, very, very cautious of if you're Tennessee because Tennessee has a great defense in situation. I think they're great on third down. They know how to push offense off the field on third down. I think they're exceptionally well on third and long. But they do have holes, and their holes lie in the deep passing game and, and, and a team that commits to the run. So we'll see what the Bengals bring to the table. But I like them this week in this matchup. I like the Bengals offense to be way too much for the Tennessee defense. And I'm hoping to see Derrick Henry, but I really doubt it. And that's my take on that one. Now we'll move over to the ones that everybody want to hear about. San Fran and Green Bay. San Fran got to go to the tundra to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers off of, off of off of a resting week because they were the number one seed in the NFC. I see the Green Bay Packers at home doing what Green Bay does best and that's scoring points. I see Aaron Rodgers not being wilted by the elements of the weather there in Tundraville. I see Aaron Jones and Dylan being able to do some of the things that, they're, that they've been always able to do against the San Francisco defense. But here's the other flip side of this matchup. Aaron Rodgers has not fared well against the 49ers in the past. And we know they've been one of those teams that hunted him over his career. Also, we don't know what we're going to get from the San Francisco 49ers offense and Kyle Shanahan. We can get a lot of Debo Samuels like we've seen in Dallas. We can get a lot of Elijah Mitchell and, and, and Wilson from the backfield like we've seen in the clinching game. Or we can see Jimmy G, you know, be at his best or be at his worst. So it's interesting to see what, what game that San, that San Francisco brings to Green Bay. But I do like Green Bay at home. I think this is going to be one of the most convincing wins of the weekend. I see Green Bay running away from this one. And I see Aaron Rodgers prevailing on to the NFC Championship game. And last but not least, the heavyweight fight of the weekend. The Buffalo Bills versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Big arm Josh Allen versus Sauce Mahomes as we call him an OGE because he does nothing but pour sauce all over it. He can't control his drip. And they'll be at home. The crowd will be crazy. It'll be an electric atmosphere. This is the rematch of the AFC Championship game from last year. So Buffalo will bring some Anna on their chest after taking a, a heart-wrenching loss. You know, they were caught off balance and then they were able to catch some footing in the second half, but it wasn't enough. So I see Buffalo coming out strong with a will to win in this one, and I see this one being 
actually the only upset of the weekend because I'll be here to say it first. The president likes the Buffalo Bills on the road at Arrowhead. I think Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills are determined to win. I think Josh Allen is more determined to win. And I think he's going to bring that to a hostile environment at Arrowhead Stadium. And I think that they're going to get it done. And with that being said, the president is going to get it done with the Daily Dose OGE. Make sure you tune in tomorrow and all, on all of our platforms where you can find us. You can find us on Instagram at OGE Network, at OGE Radio, and at OGE TV. You can find us on YouTube at OGE TV Network, and you can find us here on our podcast at Spotify at OGE Network. It's the President Daily Dose.